0: This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're discussing Watchmen Episode 9, See How They Fly. Welcome back fellow watchers, this is TV Podcast Industries and we're watching The Watchmen final episode, episode 9, See How They Fly. I am one of your hosts, Chris.
1: I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi there fellow watchers, I'm Sample2346, <laughs> otherwise known as John. Excellent. With an H. With an H.
0: <laughs> With H. Uh,
1: I am one of your hosts, of course, John. Uh, not created from a sample. No, no.
0: But I do believe you have a very special question for our audience at the beginning of this episode.
1: Yes, I do. I have an urgent announcement, fellow watchers. If you have been enjoying our feedback episode, then you'll have been listening to our Watchman pub quiz, mm-hmm. and of course, our final feedback episode will be coming later this week. And of course, I have to give out the episode 9 question before we do that when we will actually toss up the points of everyone uh, who has participates. And we'll be announcing, of course, the winner of the pub quiz, uh, who's got the most points. Uh, and, of course, they will then receive the great giveaway of Watchmen-related goodies. So, yes, here we go, fellow watchers. Episode 9 question. Quoting an ancient Egyptian inscription to the newspaper seller, name the places Adrian Veidt mentions when he first sees Lady True's quantum centrifuge and professes that the end is nigh. So there we go, fellow watchers. Remember, you can enter now, send all your answers through to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Over in our group, we will add the ninth question to um, the post on our Facebook group. So you can head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV Podcast Industries to also uh, see the questions are written out as well. So good luck to everyone. And remember, you can either send in your final answer to the question for episode nine, or if you haven't sent in any answers before, you can send all nine in uh, at once as well. So best of luck, fellow watchers, on the pub quiz. And remember, have a drink whilst you're doing it.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. We did, made it really easy for you. We put out a podcast with all other eight questions so far. There's nine points available on those questions. One point available for that question that John just gave you there for the three places mentioned in that uh, quote that Adrian Vike gives out in this episode. So that gives you 10 points that are available to you. Um it is the person who gets the most points who will be in with the chance to get those goodies. So, uh, you don't have to get all the questions right. Just get them in as soon as possible to us. But you do have some extra time because we will be recording our feedback episode on Thursday of this week.
0: Yay. Yes. We wanted to give you 24 extra hours to get all your questions in. Go back, rewatch what you need, look up what you need. We- yes, we're giving you 24 hours to get your questions and answers in, but also We want to hear your feedback. What did you think about this episode? What did you think, more importantly, about the season as a whole? Mm -hmm. Give us all your feedback to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or over on the group at facebook.com slash group slash industries. But for now, let's talk about what we thought of this. Boys, I think it's about time we discuss this episode, this finale, this culmination of nine episodes, nine hours. It's going to be a good one. So... With that, I would usually hand over to Derek, but as I am recording this sentence, <laughs> he is actually <laughs> under the desk, fiddling with wires. So, I am just going to quickly put some time together by asking, so, so did it, Did anyone like this episode? Oh, no, he's back to this. He's back. He's back from under the desk fixing yes. the wires. Our producer multi-talented he can produce and present at the same time but he's back
2: i just discovered that it's really important when recording a podcast about an episode of a tv show uh, which we will be recording for a while to plug in the computer that you're recording (laughs) on it's very important massively important
0: (laughs) yes it is any aspiring podcasters out there should really learn that basic (laughs) um early points to Yeah, I'm sorry, that's a one-on-one. But anyway, let's jump on with the episode details. Derek, do you want to tell us who wrote, who directed? This is an important episode.
2: Yes, this episode, once again, written by Damon Lindelof, and this time with Nick Coos. Uh, Nick Coos wrote the movie The Hunt with Damon Lindelof, which has been cancelled. so that may see the light of day in the future at some point, but uh, Nick Coos also worked on The Leftovers with Damon Lindelof. I'm going to say this now, and I'll probably say it at the end of the episode. What's, what do you do after The Watchmen is finished if you enjoyed the show? If you haven't watched The Leftovers, go watch it. This shouldn't be just a a thing on IMDb that Damon Lindelof also did. Go see it. It's an excellent, excellent show. And lots and lots of the people that were involved in this show uh, worked on The Leftovers as well. So go check that out.
0: Yes, do. But also, I'm devastated about The Hunt. Uh, I I basically only heard about it recently. Um, He gave an interview at the America's Writers Guild uh, Mm -hmm. with uh, Mark Benarden of... um, black man beyond or i should say Mm fat man beyond fame um it was fantastic interview um and he told the story about the hunt and why it may never see the light of day but Mm -hmm. i am fingers crossed praying that a amazon a hbo a netflix come along and save it on a streaming platform because it deserves to be seen i believe
2: yeah, it was pretty close to being released as well. It was only a few weeks away, I think, uh, when it eventually got canned, uh, unfortunately. But hopefully, yeah, we'll get to see it in the future. Yeah. Um, this episode was directed by Fred Toy. Uh, we talked about Fred Toy earlier on this year, guys. He directed episode four of The Boys, The Female of the Species, and also directed this episode of, uh, of Watchmen. That's kind of cool, isn't it?
0: Yes, he, we, we loved his work. But I hear he's also doing two other episodes of an upcoming show based on a French comic.
2: Yes, he's done two episodes of the TV show Snowpiercer. The first season has already uh, finished completed, and is ready to go on Netflix, I think, next year. Uh, and season two, I think they're filming at the moment. But he's already done two episodes of that. So uh, intrigued to see what he does. But kind of cool that he's done an episode of The Boys and an episode of Watchmen. Our two shows that we've just done back to back. And he's worked on both of them. That's quite cool. Yes.
1: yes, the stars align, I think, here. Mm-hmm. John, do you want to tell us what the official episode description for this episode is? Everything ends for real this time. I love these ones. They're so (laughs) short and sweet. Absolutely. Remember, I used to ramble on for a paragraph. They were a work of and crafted, but nonetheless, Mm -hmm. do like this new setup.
0: Yes, but I do have a challenge for John going forward that all of his uh, episode descriptions going forward should just be ten words. What he does with those (laughs) ten words, it's up to him, but it should be ten words.
2: Whatever he
1: wants. Yeah, I like it. Episode one's easy. The start. Then... Probably around episode five and six, it's the middle. (laughs) (laughs) And the final episode, say if it's ten, is the end.
2: There
0: you go. There There you go. go.
1: They have to think up some things in between, like the 75th quartile.
0: (laughs) I don't
2: know. Your math isn't very good, is it? <laughs> 75th quarter? <laughs> of episodes, yeah. Okay, interesting, interesting. Good stuff. Let's get on to our points about the episodes, guys. The Doomsday Clock has been set to five minutes to midnight.
0: Yes, we are back with our final five minutes to midnight. Boys, we are getting there. It is right at the end. So, to kick off our five minutes to midnight discussions, Derek, do you want to give us your top point?
2: Absolutely. Um, I'm just really intrigued because in our final episode, we have another change to something we knew in the past. I love how the show has consistently changed our perception of things we've already seen over and over again. You know, we got an episode last week which was all about time moving in different ways and your perception changing because you're seeing time in different ways. This episode, my one, effectively is that Adrian Veidt created a new plan after meeting Lady for Tr- the first time. Because that happened in 2008, a year before meeting John Osterman, uh, Dr. Manhattan returning from space effectively. He knew all of the information that Dr. Manhattan was going to give to him, which I just think is really intriguing because it gives you a new impression of Adrian Veidt. He'd been sitting around moping basically for years after his massively devastating attack on New York had worked, but he's getting no credit for it, right? He's been sitting around moping going, I'm not going to get any kind of praise from anybody at all arrives on his door is lady true going what if i was able to banish all of the nuclear weapons and he his response to her is, well i would have done that if i was able to do it and nobody can do it otherwise i love her response to him she's going well you're just a man and you have limitations (laughs) and he thinks this is an equality comment from her and goes oh but i suppose as a woman you can do it can't you she's like no 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 there is somebody else (laughs) and you know exactly who he is yeah and what she says squids are it's effectively a
1: rerun. All these mm-hmm. squids he's dropping are just like reruns. Uh, listen out, Star Wars. Um, and <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, just a great little meeting, I think, between uh, these two powerhouses. Although, I suppose in that instance, uh, Asian Vite does seem like he's just gone past his uh, sell by date a bit. And like, here is the new kid on the block. I think the great thing about this, though, is that, you know, as she reveals um how she came into being that effectively she is his daughter <laughs> uh, and the sample used by her mother um, who guessed the the code that was in in the watchman uh in in the comics as well Ramesses the mm-hmm. um that uh you know it, it's a great little moment where he's like i will not call you daughter um, and he he goes on about how he was born into wealth, but he gave it away so that he could start from nothing and prove to everyone that he is worthy of of that wealth that he's given away, effectively. And so he goes, "My gift to you is nothing," mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just like, "You are a complete ass.
2: Oh, agent. absolutely. I th- I suppose this is what kind of kicks off Lady True's version of the plan effectively she is so angry from this point onwards which i love because that's not what we expected we thought she was coming across as you know i want to celebrate this moment with my mother and father being here for us no no she wants to rub it in his face that even though he didn't give her the money that she wanted to start off this whole process back in 2008 she was still able to, to accomplish it she was still able to get there and on the way she bought his company as well her company became so big she bought his company i love that it's just from that moment onwards it's a great change to the dynamic dynamic between those two we thought she was gonna get daddy back from a, a planet far away to show him how wonderful her life was no no she's rubbing it in his face that she is the smartest woman on earth he was only called the smartest man on earth by the media he he isn't even the smartest person on earth that's her now
1: well it's that huge slice of humble pie that he has to eat which is just really good um mm-hmm. even just that moment where the the space rocket that has come down to take him off uh, Europa. Uh-huh. The 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 voice from the spacecraft is like, no, put your hands on your hips <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> in order for him to be, you know, sealed and so that he survives the the journey back to yeah. Earth uh, and obviously then into um into Lazy True's sort of greenhouse uh, at uh-huh. the Millennium Clock.
2: And one thing, just if you didn't know, this just to point it out, I'm sure it was very obvious to everyone, but him with his hands on his hips, cast in gold, is a reference to that little action figure that you see in his office in Karnak, right? So she is making him look like yeah. a plaything, basically, as well. So just stand in the office, you just wait there in gold, carbonite, effectively until my plan is ready to go and then I'll unfreeze you and then you can see how bloody good I am at my job like I love when she unfreezes him after taking him back and he, and he goes oh Dr. Manhattan's alive he's on Earth he's in Tulsa, I think he's somewhere nearby um, he's a human now and she goes yeah yeah I know all that and I bet to kill him in an hour's time <laughs> and he's like what? <laughs> I thought you needed my help basically Brilliant.
0: I did love the fact that Back in episode two, three, when we introduced Lady True, mm-hmm. that the sp- that that item crashing back to Earth, yes, was Ozymandias. Yes, episode four. Yes, yes. we believed it yeah. was maybe Doctor Manhattan mm-hmm. or something. We I think we potentially even theorized yeah. it was Ozymandias coming back to from wherever, and we were right. Mm-hmm. It's just again timing is so fluid; it everything is being experienced at the same time. Uh-huh. Uh, in the show, and the the use of time as a story instrument, as a story piece, is amazing.
1: Yes, I think um, I think I mentioned back whenever it was in episode four. I think it was the moment where the camera pulls back whilst on Europa, mm-hmm. on the the moon of Jupiter, and it comes back, and then it comes out of the gold statue. I, I think at the time it was like. Okay, may you know that he's in there, and maybe everything he is experiencing is in his head. well, no, it actually did happen. that was the only thing yes. that 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 was clarified, but it it really just felt that um there was something more to that statue that that met the eye after that particular camera shot yeah the, cam- in, the camera started on four.
2: Adrian Veidt's face on Europa and then came out of the gold face on Yes, exactly and I think very close after that, we have the comment from Larry going. Why did you make it look so old? <laughs> well, she yeah. didn't. It's just spray paint basically over the top of, uh, over the top of Adrian Vice Brilliant.
1: Although I do like golden carbonite. That's quite yes, a good one. Absolutely. Blinging the carbonite.
2: I will also say I did a very bad thing because this episode, we got this episode late and we were watching around the same time as everybody else. I did listen to Damon Lindelof's discussion about the last three episodes on the official uh, podcast of Watchmen. The, um, background behind him being hidden in plain sight is fascinating. Check it out. <laughs> there you go. That's my only one that I'm going to give you for that episode. Okay. Uh, that's my first point is just that the meeting of Lady True and Adrian Vice uh, completely changes the plan of Adrian. He was effectively going to sit there for the rest of his life, having these uh, squids dropping randomly around the world until Lady True came into his life to tell him that uh, there is another plan. Interesting. John? What's your uh, big point for this episode at five and midnight? It is
1: that she's a raging narcissist. <laughs> um, so, I mean, effectively, that Lady True here um, is the villain of the piece to some extent. Oh yeah, you know, there are there are many villains. There is the Seventh Cavalry, for for example, mm-hmm. but it, it's just the fact that she's kind of been uh, really sneaky about it, and I, I just love the fact that Adrian Vice is, you know, once he has kind of been. Decarbonized from the golden carbonite. He's, he's recognizing this narcissist tendency, uh, of her wanting to become God because, well, as he says himself. I can recognize them because I'm one. You know, it. <laughs> she didn't lick it from the pavement. Basically, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he. She certainly has uh, his uh, his genes. So it, it's. Um, I, I really just like this. You know, as you were saying before, she's bought his company. She has completely proven Adrian Veidt wrong uh, by setting up the company, constructing the Millennium Clock, buying his company making him eat humble pie making him as small as an ant and uh, and she is wanting to become as big as an elephant dare mm-hmm. i say okay. um, and uh just this this whole thing is that you know we we felt she's been on well at least for myself i i have always been feeling that she has been on the side of say angela uh, bar. you know you've you've had her working with will reeves mm. uh, it all seems that she is doing stuff um, that that seems right, or you know, t- to help out because it, it's been targeted at this white supremacist, racist organization of the Seventh Cavalry, and and really what you find out is that her plans are probably thousandfold worse than than theirs because she is looking for pure power, pure control. That go, I mean, she's willing to. Destroy the Seventh Cavalry, absolutely. But you know, you see, Agent White is afraid of what she will do, how she will want to turn the world into her own image, and and so again, it's just this really nice blurring of of morals and morality, and and how things are are going to pan out. You know, it, it's not just simply that she's coming in to save the day. That's a byproduct of the fact that she wants ultimate power Mm -hmm. and total power across at least the solar system uh, that she lives in uh, and specifically on earth. And I just think it's really uh, a good um, spot with it all relating around Adrian Veidt sort of meeting his daughter again after she came to him in Karnak, you know, those many years ago and he gave her nothing. And in a sense, that put down by him has probably helped fuel exactly what she wants to do but in this instance she's not going to um hide away and not take credit for it she
2: is going to make it full frontal uh, and totally about her mm. you're absolutely right and even part of that narcissism is her turning around to adrian White and going Oh, you called me daughter in that spelling on the spelling on the planet of <laughs> yeah. Europa. That must have taken a lot of effort, Father. <laughs> very good, very good.
0: Um, for me, looking back on it again, hindsight is twenty twenty. It should have been obvious. Um, mm-hmm. that Lady True was the ultimate villain of this yeah. piece. Uh, in that when you think about it, Adrian Veidt, Osamandius, was the ultimate villain. Of the Watchmen comic book, of the original, when you think about it. like It should have been obvious, but that was one of the reasons I'm tipping my hat to the writers' room, in that when you first read Watchmen, it was a revelation Mm -hmm. that Adrian Veidt was the bad guy, quote-unquote. And this episode was the revelation that Lady True was the bad guy, Mm quote-unquote. Now, our understanding of why they wanted to do it, they were the bad guys, right? And in theory, you could say that they were the good guys because, for example, what Ozymandias did in the comic books with the squid, the interdimensional uh, event, it did cause peace for a long period of time, Mm -hmm. uh, etc., etc., etc. He did make the world a better place, again, quote-unquote, um, but what I'm finding really interesting is looking back at all the pieces, the threads and the story beats, the writing was on the wall all the way back then. It was just the final puzzle piece that when we saw this scene about her wanting to become a god mm-hmm. that, yeah, and why exactly. she wanted to do it, that you then go, you, that's, that piece is fit into the puzzle and you see the as the whole and you go, Oh, now I get it. Mm. Now I see why this is a bad thing. Yeah. Um yeah. it was just it was just it's writing like this that every now and again reminds me of why I love TV and good TV.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And I think the interesting thing about how it's written as well is that having said all this and it it it's mainly through the reaction of Adrian White, but you know we never actually get to see her blue or dispose of those powers how she wills so certainly the signposts there that she wanted this total power nonetheless we actually never get a chance to see how she would use that and you know again that kind of hiding in plain sight that she has you know she helped angela recover from the nostalgia pills she was working with will reeves it was all for selfish ends but It was to get that power and we just don't know how she's going to use it. I think we've got a fair guess that she uh, may uh, dispose of it in ways that um, could be problematic. But she still, you know, was willing to um, put the 7th Cavalry in there
2: place i suppose yeah so her plan just to make sure we we put we highlighters her plan was she'd get the power she'd banish all nuclear weapons from the entirety of the world something that adrian vi didn't do and something that dr manhattan didn't think of doing and and it said that he was never asked to do that so he didn't do it basically (laughs) because he knows what happens he knows the outcomes he was never asked to do it he didn't do it he's not a very imaginative guy i suppose um but that was her plan and i like the idea the idea is why would God do what they did? If I was God, I'd do this. And that's what she's trying to become. She's trying to become God because she believes she would make better choices with the powers that Dr. Manhattan has, even though she doesn't really understand them. Not many people do, and that's what we got last episode in episode eight. We now understand his powers. His powers are, well, he can't do any of that because he already knows the outcome because it's already happened. So the minute Lady True got the powers, she would suddenly have known how everything would turn out and not be able to just click her fingers and get rid of nuclear weapons Exactly, because it's not omnipotence that you get so I love that concept and I love the fact that she didn't actually achieve it and we didn't see her blue we just see a massive ship drop on her face and that's it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: the quantum centrifuge that's it
0: yes Um, but I really did wish that they they used that old adage which was absolute power corrupts absolutely Um, because that's part of it as well. It's that, yes, you can become a God. She could have become a God and she may have had altruistic intentions, but yeah. with the power of a God, it will corrupt her. Um, but at the same time as well, we also know she was already corrupted because she was willing to do heinous things to to become the the God that she wanted to become. But also... She did good things, so it's again that she wasn't actually the villain. There were many villains in the season, exactly, um, which is the interesting part. That kind of leads me on to um my my final point or my main point for this um piece, which is Lady True was so she was so manipulative. It was fantastic because she used the Seventh Cavalry to mask her plans from Doctor Manhattan. So we, we knew that Dr. Manhattan could see to a point that, um, he was, he was like, okay, we've got 10 years because the seven cavalry will come. He wasn't able to see beyond that because she was the puppet master. She was the Vietnamese puppet master playing with the strings and able to mask all of her activities without Dr. Manhattan noticing because she understood how his power, I believe she understood how his powers worked. Um, she was able to get the seven cavalry to make the cage, which stopped his powers from being used and stopped him from escaping and seeing up to that point or beyond that point. Yeah. Um, which was all made of the, the lithium batteries. Uh, she got seven cavalry to make them. She gave them the battery or she allowed them to steal the power packs. Mm-hmm. Um her reasoning for this was the the ends justified the means. Mm-hmm. It got her to where she needed to get to. But she was also helping Will Reeves um, by taking down Cyclops. Yeah. Um, and she takes down Cyclops. And we find so many interesting things about that in, in this very short speech by Keane and Keane Senior. Or I would say Keen Senior is there, but Keane Jr.
2: Keen Jr. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Uh, and also his fantastic pants which were which Larry makes fun of and I was so happy for.
2: Absolutely yeah they're, they're the ones that Dr Manhattan wears throughout the comic books until he eventually stops wearing pants at all basically. Uh, yeah. They're exactly the ones that you see over uh, over Vietnam as well so <laughs> it's as if Keen Jr is so uneducated about Doctor Manhattan's powers that he thinks he must wear these particular pants. He seems to think there is some kind of connection between that and the pants. I suppose um, <laughs> he certainly shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be getting this kind of power. He doesn't have the intellect to use it in any in any stretch of the imagination. But I do love how it all plays out with uh, with Lady Chu reading out the two page letter from Will, and about four or five lines into it. They go, oh, get on with it. We don't need to hear the letter. Are you going to kill us? And she's like, of course I'm going to kill you. And then just kills them all.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I love the fact that everything with the 7th Cavalry was actually just an extension of Lady True's plans for us. Mm -hmm. Every part of it. So when you start looking at the whole, then you really do see why she did what she did and why she allowed certain things to happen. So that because it all was the ultimate game plan. She is the master manipulator, the master puppet maker. and puppeteer, the the Mm -hmm. master chess um, player, if you will.
2: (laughs) Or at least, just like her father, she thinks she is.
0: Yes, uh, and that's exactly it. Let's move our doomsday clock a bit closer to midnight so we can discuss these other points. The doomsday clock has
1: been set to four minutes to midnight.
2: Yes, definitely. Led you through, just like her father, a little narcissistic, and uh, her her decision on plans as to what she's going to do, uh, very similar to what her father would have done. Um, but one thing that did come out, which is my point at four minutes to midnight, or my medium point for the episode, I'm glad Angela and Will were right, I suppose. Um, because what we saw throughout uh, the last episode, we saw that moment where Angela kind of shouted through time to Will and revealed that Judd Crawford has got a KKK outfit in his wardrobe. Um, and we thought last episode that meant that she got Judd Crawford, her friend, killed because of a piece of information that she wasn't completely sure of. And she thought she'd started the whole thing. Actually, it turns out that she was right. We hear from Keane when he's saying his whole speech that, that Judd Crawford uh, was a racist. And he made friends with Angela for the last two or three years to hide in plain sight, right, right at her side, to make her look as if he was her friend, to make it look like he was beyond reproach. Um, there's an interesting one going right back to the first episode, that battle where the um, 7th Cavalry are trying to fly away with the batteries uh, from the farmhouse. Yep. And we see Judd Crawford chase them down, and he won't give up on chasing them down until he's killed them. Well, the reason is because he has to cover up something that had happened. That shouldn't have happened. That was going to reveal their plans. I love how once again throughout this series, if you look back on previous episodes, you see things that were hidden right there in front of you. Why would Joe Crawford go so far? You hear the co-pilot in their version of Archie, the police uh, police ship they had in the first episode. You hear her going, "We don't need to chase them down. We'll catch them later." And he goes, "No, no, I'm going after them and takes them down." He does that because he is so centrally involved in this whole plan that everything has to go like clockwork and he's going to make that happen he's going to grease the wheels and going to make that happen so I'm really glad that Angela and Will were right about their decision to take Joe Crawford out because that does stop most of the cavalry's plans some things don't fall into place for them specifically because Joe Crawford isn't there some things have to be moved up and made faster because Joe Crawford isn't there and it sets Angela and Will on the path to taking down the 7th cavalry if that hadn't have happened if Angela hadn't spoken through dr manhattan through time maybe will and angela wouldn't have joined together here and finished the seventh cavalry plan so I, lo- I love that that's all connected together
1: yeah i think it's really kind of good explanation and just like how it all goes back to the white knight at christmas because that's the moment when the seventh cavalry knew that dr manhattan was on earth yes. and specifically with angela abar because we see um Dr. Manhattan, Cal, what I thought actually was probably him blowing his head up or something like he was doing outside the, the A bar household in the last episode. Mm-hmm. But actually, he just teleported him to New Mexico. Um,
2: Gary? Yes. From Seventh Cavalry. Yeah, yes.
1: Gary from Seventh Cavalry, <laughs> who then phoned back to say, um, I'm in New Mexico, and, and that's the moment. Um, and so they put Judd Crawford into place to get close to the family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you say, to hide in plain sight. So I, I really like this kind of explanation that, that was coming out, mm-hmm. uh, for sure.
2: And one thing that could be slightly confusing for people that didn't read the comic books, um, Senator Keane does call out that this is the birthplace uh, of Dr. Manhattan, uh, just to make sure, because I, w- I was looking going, no, no, he was born in Germany. Right? Because we had that whole scene where he went from Germany to England and then stayed in England and then moved over to America. That's where the accident happened that birthed Dr. Manhattan, not John Osterman. So just just to make sure that was clear for everybody, because I was kind of going... No, no, he's definitely wasn't born in New Mexico, <laughs> but yes, that's where the accident happened.
0: Yeah, and it's where he, if you uh, read, read the comics, you can see that he—that's um, where he started to build himself back together exactly. again when he was seen as the ghost of a walking circulatory system. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah so it a special, a special connection for him there as well.
0: Yeah, I'm personally, I- I'm so happy about this. Mm-hmm. All the points that you've said. But also the fact that, for me, it's a good thing that he was a bad guy, that he was put down Mm -hmm. the way he was. Because if it had have been the other way, which that would have been something that would have lived with Angela and Will for years. And at this point, we now know, actually, no, they, they didn't do something wrong. Like, well, they did. They killed. But... You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually he was actually a racist. He was, he, yeah, he was part of the Seventh Cavalry. It was his job to infiltrate.
2: Absolutely. And again, Hood of Justice, Will Reeves, has done his job once again. He's found another high-level member of Cyclops and put them to death. You know, he's, he's told he told Judd Crawford to hang himself when he found out that he was a high-level member of the Cyclops, and he's now taken out all the other members of Cyclops, right? So that's a good thing, or, or at least all the active members that were in Oklahoma at the time. I don't think Cyclops is gone. I think if you are going to do a second series, you still have Cyclops available in other cities around the country of, of America. They're not all gone, but there's definitely these people here uh, in this room, most of the high-level members, including Senator Keen, the original, who's the person that originally took uh, the masks off the table, took all of the Minutemen and all the members of the superhero societies, told them to take their masks off. Um, so he is also a member of this group as well. So I thought that was quite interesting, too.
0: And it was all part of their plan as well, um, which is explained by Keen Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, but OK, so that, that, that was your point. Let's move it on to John. What was your... Uh, next biggest point of this episode.
1: Um It's that mum's gone to Iceland, um, which I suppose for, uh, that is reference to frozen calamari that rains down upon thee. Uh, the reference to mum's gone to Iceland is an advert uh, in, uh, in UK and Ireland mm-hmm. where uh, it, it's a supermarket and uh, it sort of specializes in frozen um we're, food yeah. basically we're
2: coming close to christmas time the iceland ad where you can buy <laughs> your entire christmas dinner frozen for about four quid has See, been playing yeah. over and over again so,
1: so they would yeah. love what White did because they would just have bags sort of catching the frozen calamari uh-huh. and then selling them on so <laughs> um it, it, it's the plan it, it's the fact that um first of all um because of the mishap that happens to Senator Keene Jr., um, that <laughs> Laurie Blake, mishap. Looking Glass, and, um, Asian Vice are able to be teleported by, um, Cal, by Dr. Manhattan to Karnak, where then, um, you know, you have this really interesting moment where it's like, you know, Asian Blake thinks that they, they can just stop it and save Cal. And and you you have Asian kind of very matter-of-factly just going, no, no, he's dead, but we can stop her. Mm-hmm. Um, as he yeah. effectively gets Looking Glass to turn the temperature down so that when he opens up one of his portals, um, he will effectively be hurtling frozen calamari at terminal velocity mm-hmm. down onto Tulsa. I did think that the, the effect of the frozen calamari was slightly... Um, inconsistent in the you know you did have mm. the hole in the hand um of of lady true yet red scare seemed to kind of come off pretty unscathed yep.
2: um and uh, and red scare definitely get away yeah yeah um there was a st- I know what you mean the the projectile power of this frozen calamari, frozen to 22 degrees. Remember, that's American 22 degrees because I was like, that's like a balmy summer's day. Yeah, I'm not frozen <laughs> at all. Um, but yeah, it should go through the metal in cars if it's gone through the bone in her hand that quickly. You know, uh, it definitely takes out a ship directly over but her that's head. That's it. It takes out the quantum centrifuge. Yeah.
1: yeah, Not a ship. Sorry, the quantum, quantum centrifuge. centrifuge. You're absolutely right. Yes, yes. Um, like, so, but I, I just, I did like the plan. I like the fact that, you know cal uh, dr manhattan you know this is he obviously knew those elements that were going to play out here Mm -hmm. and and it gives them this moment to stop as i say in in a sense that villain of the piece looking for that ultimate power to Mm -hmm. wield rather than be sort of agnostic on it and and, and sit back like he had done and -hmm. maybe that's where he was coming at it from but um I, I, I just like this and I like the whole setup of the th- these three, Blake, uh, Veidt and, and Looking Glass mm-hmm. in Karnak, um, trying to help with the teleporter, the squids, uh, and, and raining destruction down upon, um, upon Tulsa absolutely what
2: a great grouping these three are
0: <laughs>
1: I really really enjoyed these these three mm-hmm.
2: uh playing off one another absolutely sure. I, I love Larry's arrival in the office why the f are we in the office <laughs> 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 why are we doing, Why do are they send to the office oh and then Adrian kind of goes oh well, of course because obviously I can do something from my office right so off we go with our plan and away we go yeah really good fun uh also you know the poor looking glass every time the Manhattan players are used to teleport and throwing up each time uh you just feel kind of sorry for him, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like there's even that moment where he throws up the first time the powers <laughs> are used and then his weapon is taken off him by the, by the magnus, magnetism that's being used by uh, Lady True's people as well. So it's, uh, it's just quite funny seeing the poor character being uh, treated so badly. And we haven't seen him in three episodes there at this stage. So
1: yeah, I'm glad we got him in this episode as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I do like that with, you know, Spanner in hand, he, you know, he he does come to save the day, uh, yeah. and do what I suppose Rorschach wasn't able to do in the end—a little more low tech, um, you know, effectively.
2: <laughs> well, that was actually one of my notes uh, that I have for later on. It's just the fact that effectively we have Laurie Blake, who was the partner of uh, of Dan Dryberg at the time. Um, she is back again at Karnak. She's the one that arrests Adrian Veidt. And on the other side, we have Looking Glass, who's kind of a version of Rorschach if his brain wasn't completely broken and he wasn't a really horrible human being, effectively. Um, and he's the one that gets to knock out Adrian Veidt. So the two of them get to do what Dan and Rorschach weren't able to do back in 85. So I yeah. kind of like that. Yeah.
1: And of course, Archie is back as well. And Archie's there, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. I'm wondering whether Looking Glass and, uh, and Laurie Blake are going to have a little relationship in the future. You know, nah. why not? Can't imagine it. Mm. I could see it.
0: We'll see, we'll see what happens with season two.
1: <laughs> okay. But, Chris, then, what is your medium point?
0: I am so happy I'm walking on water. Um. So, for me, this was... Uh, everything about this episode... I, am happy with the ending that we were given. From mum's been going to Iceland and saving some money, um, and saving the world <laughs> to actually the ending and goodbye of John and Cal. So I, I kept expecting John Osterman, and Cal to kind of reconstitute because, um, because the central fugal, uh, thingamabob, uh, <laughs> go on, John. Quantum
1: centrifuge. There you go.
0: There we are. The quantum centrifuge thing above was destroyed. <laughs> I was expecting John to basically rematerialize over time. Like, I was expecting, like, a blue light just to, um, kind of appear. And again, a circulatory system just to kind of reappear or something like that. Okay. Because yep. I was like, okay, but no, John, Dr. Manhattan is dead.
2: Well, now, in fairness, just to just give your. Theory, a little bit of credence, Chris. We only spent one more night in Tulsa, and it took months and months for him to reconstitute. The first time, true. The second time, you're right. He did reconstitute in Karnak when he when this happened to him uh, by Adrian Weitzhand, he did reconstitute quite quickly. So uh, he could be somewhere in the middle, or just maybe just didn't want to show himself that quickly. Or there is a possibility, though, that he's not gone forever because this kind of thing seems to happen. sometimes to poor Dr. Manhattan.
0: But we are also given an explanation of that he believed that something like this would happen. He told Angela about the eggs. Mm -hmm. Um, And you need to break a few eggs to make an omelette. And we get a flashback to the, the introduction where he talks about sharing his power in an egg and the theory that he could place his power in there if someone wants to take that egg they could share his power or take his power or become or kind of embody him excuse me and when we we end this episode we end on the theory that she's about to try mm-hmm. walking on water because the first episode after he is revealed he is walking on water and she goes why are you doing this you need to see this he replies.
2: This is, this is this is important for the future. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I was so happy, be- and I, I'm walking on water because they don't actually show exactly. us. the final shot of this season is fantastic. The foot does not go through the water. The foot does not stay on top of the water. The foot just stops, and that could be that she's just. We don't know. the The future is the future is tenable here the the future like we don't know what will happen she may have been given the powers of dr manhattan she mm-hmm. may not have it's just this really nice not knowing um that they've that they've given us hope yes definitely that the god is still there and the god in this case is a woman not Alanis set but uh, Angela Abar.
1: Absolutely. It, it is that Sarah Connor moment of the future is untold. Yes. Um, and uh, for me, it was definitely that inception moment of the, the spinning top. You know, will it fall? Will it keep spinning? Mm-hmm. Is he in reality? Is he in a dream? In this case, is she a god? Isn't she a god? Is she walking on water? Is she about to basically get wet? Face planting uh, a pool. Play, yeah yeah, <laughs> belly flop. Yeah. And um, yeah, I really like that, I have to say. I think the other thing I really enjoyed uh, in this moment was, um, as you say, Chris, the, the goodbye of John uh, Cal to Angela when he's in, the um in the lithium restraining cage and he loses his colour. Um, I, I, thought that was a really, in, in all this craziness that was going on, the, the shot really came down into a, a really nicely intimate moment. Yeah. I, I felt between these two characters. And um, given, you know, the 10 years they've spent together, given last episode, we saw how they met and at least the initial craziness for Angela of this, um, imaginative, unimaginative person uh, in the in the form of uh, John Osterman, Dr. Manhattan, and then within Cal. So, you know, it, it was, um, you know, it, it's that kind of moment where not that she's been restraining him with the atom symbol in his head. It feels like with that being released and she has such a short time then with him as she knew him when she first met him in the bar in Saigon. So I thought it was a really intimate moment uh, that happened uh, between these two, which I thought was really, pretty really good.
2: It was just heartbreaking. Yeah, wasn't would... it? just that, that moment because again, she spent six months with Dr. Manhattan before he became Cal, really before he yeah, just exactly. lost everything and became Cal. And he makes this choice. It seems in that final moment to say, I love you and goodbye to the woman he loves. He makes that choice to, pull himself all the way back to to cal he doesn't change into the way she first saw him it's the way that she spent 10 years with him is what he changes into to say goodbye to her and i just think it was very emotional really perfectly played
0: yeah and for me that was kind of culmination was just the actual where are you cal where are you uh I'm in every moment we were ever together yeah really good you know that whole thing which is okay if you could have 10 years of the happiest time of your life Mm -hmm. but you know it's going to end would you still do it and that's what this whole thing is about which is he knew he was going to pass on in his case Mm -hmm. but he still chose to spend those 10 years with her because he knew he would have 10 years of not remembering it but still uh, until the end Um, and it was just it was so poignant um, I really, really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Although one question kind of niggles at me at this, which is there's um he says one there's one bit where he's he's away, and he kind of goes when he's saying this man he's talking there's one where it doesn't line up, and I don't know which part he was talking to in the work in the timeline. It's basically, I can't place all of his words and sentences.
2: I have it in notes, but if there's any particular ones that are that aren't standing out to you, they're they're all actually comic book quotes. They're all from the original storyline that John Osterman's re-experiencing all the things that happened in the past. Like for example, he goes, "Jenny, are you cold?" Which was the first Christmas that he spent with Jenny back in 1954, I think, or yes. 55, something like that. Um, he spent the first Christmas with her, and that's a line that he's saying there. Uh, the line he says about uh, there's no particular problem going on in Afghanistan at the moment, not that I'm aware of think is what he says uh that's from when his first television yeah. appearance uh, which we see in the comic book just before he disappears off to mars or driven off to mars by humans Um there's loads of that stuff it's really good yeah. touches that he's that he's saying lines that we haven't seen in the tv show it's stuff that happened in the comic book before he left earth
0: that's why so, yeah. okay thank you, you thank go. you for because for me i was like i don't understand i haven't seen cal mention these parts Mm -hmm. or haven't seen john mention these parts in the episodes we've seen to date yeah yeah. and i was just like racking my brain that oh my god that just makes it even better Mm -hmm. it really like i love it you know it's effectively
2: the idea of the tv is if you don't know the comic books you'll understand he's going through things that we may not know at all um he's going he says it's i'm i'm all over time this whole thing is affecting his ability to just focus on one space uh, he eventually is able to focus on the relationship between him and Angela, which is keeping him together for those final moments, I suppose. Um, but I, I love the extra touch that if you've read the comic books, you may know where some of these bits are from and who the who the people he's talking about are from. But they don't necessarily mean anything specific in the scenes. That's all. He's just trying to focus on yeah. moments from his life.
0: No, that's just oh, that's so much even better. <laughs> okay, um, knowing that it makes me even happier. Uh, gentlemen, hark! I do hear a talk, a clicking. I mean, a click talking. Uh, I believe it is time to move on because we the Doomsday Clock is set to three minutes to midnight. The Doomsday Clock has been set to three minutes to midnight. So, John, do you want to give us your final small points for this episode?
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, it, it was Lady True's, you need to filter all that energy before you absorb it. <laughs> uh, literally the disbelief from Lady True that Senator Keen is in that box. You know, as she opens the pod and, it, and it's kind of like uh, from Overlook Hotel in, in The Shining as the the lifts open and all this bloody gunk <laughs> comes out and and it's like oh Senator Keene Junior pops like a watermelon <laughs> literally after delivering his like fait accompli complete of of, to, of how smart the 7th cavalry have been to you oh. know capture um to capture Dr Manhattan you know the, the reason why they were stripping all the lithium from the old batteries um which was uh, again another little question answered from the the first episode um and yet uh you know the the whole thing from lady Chu is well you need that thing flying up in the sky that i've brought along mm-hmm. just because yeah you're gonna pop like a watermelon i thought that was just spot on Absolutely. spot on um great stuff um yeah and then yeah i mean I think she at least focuses some kind of energy on the rest of the 7th Cavalry that makes them go pop as well, Mm -hmm. really. Um, So I I really enjoyed uh, this moment um, just because uh, it made all the sweeter after Senator Keane um, in his crazy underpants um, is really trying (laughs) to say how great they've been in figuring all this out. And in Mm -hmm. fact... They knew nothing because they were held all the way by Lady True. And as you said, uh, Chris, you know, she was using them to mask her plans. So I I just like this um, popping like a watermelon.
0: Yes, they are very much like Jon Snow. They know nothing.
2: It is so worthwhile, isn't it, after that absolutely disgusting speech. That Keane gives about how difficult it is in America these days to be a white man. Oh god, it just made me want to strangle him and then to realize he just popped on his own in that box and he's just ended off you know in the sluice grates uh, down the side of the street in oklahoma exactly where people like that belong so i'm glad it happened to every other member of the cavalry that was there as well
1: maybe somewhere in new mexico he is reconfiguring like a watermelon so just the pips will start to appear <laughs> oh this is really difficult
2: <laughs> um Hopefully not. Hopefully he will never be back. <laughs> well, he'll be eaten or dehydrate in the in the sun. In the, in the summer sun in Mexico, absolutely.
0: The reason I'm okay with Keen popping like that, it was just that final comment to Angela, where you can see, uh, he he just shows his pure mm-hmm. racist soul, and you're just like, well, all right, now. bye. See you later. You get in <laughs> the box. We know you're we know you're gonna <laughs> die yep. now. Let
2: the door hit you on the way in.
0: <laughs> if he was a watermelon i would not be eating that mm-hmm. uh but anyway rather than my culinary uh choices derek what is your final point
2: you know everybody is probably looking for little clues as to whether there is a second season coming or is there anything going to happen in the future of this show and um, one person that has always been in the show and people have had various theories about is Topher, christopher the son of angela Barr. Um, and I just yes. wanted to point out a little moment in the episode, just in case people might have missed a little moment. After they're in the Dreamland Cinema, and they're walking away, and they go into the bakery that we saw from the first couple of episodes, Sister and i's, uh her hideout, effectively. We have a moment with young Topher staring at his mother's uh, outfit, her superhero gear. And he suddenly has that realization of who his mother really is. Um, somebody else had a similar realization in the past. Will Reeve's son had seen his father dressed up as of Justice, had tried to imitate him, saying, I'm like you, Dad, and got told to take that off, and that's what broke up June and Will Reeves. So I wonder, with all of the new information that Angela Barr now has, I don't think she's probably going back out in the streets as a superhero in the future, but I wonder, would she discourage Topher from taking up that in the future? Is this setting up the idea that maybe, in a few years' time, Topher grows up to be a masked vigilante taking after his mother and grandfather.
0: I'm right there with you on yeah. this. Um, I, I do believe so. I believe that if we are ever shown Topher uh, again, it will be that Angela has... I, I, I actually think Angela will continue as Sister Knight. Okay. Um, I think she's seen the need for the vigilantism, uh, the masks... Especially that those last piece between herself and Will, um, basically it was his fear mm-hmm. that drove him. It wasn't anger. Fear and sadness. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I do believe that is still a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe she will continue for the fear of what will happen if she was not there. Yeah. Uh, with John gone with uh, all these things, I believe she will continue. Um, but I do also think that she, with all of, the nostalgia in her, allowing her to have seen Will's um, participation in that that memory, um, and how that went so badly. Yeah. Ah, uh, she doesn't say no. She doesn't yell at Tofer to get away. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. She just nods at him and tells him to come. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, uh, yes, I do believe Tofer will be a masked uh, vigilante or not um, a masked cop,
2: perhaps. Yeah going forward. I'm just intrigued by the interaction between the two of them because it's wordless, you know, there is that moment where he has that that realization like kids have when they have suddenly pulled the pieces together in their mind and she just nods and says kind of you've worked it out basically. Um which I, yeah. which I just like which is different again from Will's reaction to his son uh, when he saw that his father was had of justice. So uh, I I like that potentially the next generation will be very different um you know yeah. and also remember all of these cops are in masks because of what keen did and what judd Crawford did so whether they'll be in masks next week when the police force in oklahoma goes back to being the same kind of police force as every other state in the country uh, they may not be wearing masks they may be back to being just regular beat cops without masks on them. So yeah. we just don't know what's going to happen in the future. But I like that we have some questions for possible futures.
1: Or it could be the reverse mask like Superman, who puts on his glasses. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you're dressed yeah. down to uh, to
2: walk the out. Cheapest the
1: cheapest mask in the world.
0: <laughs> A pair of bifocals.
1: Ah,
2: bifocals. They're, they're pretty expensive, actually. <laughs> exactly so that's a possible potential future chris do you want to give us the small thing that you haven't talked about in this episode
0: my final point really is what's next where does this leave us what potentially can happen what threads are left unanswered and mm. um, we've talked a few of them um, already which is so will reeves is now staying with angela that the kids are fine will she continue her vigilantism or, or her masked cop Um because as you say it, it's all going to come out that this was, uh, the Keens, uh, the two of them. But actually the reason the masked vigilantes were told to, uh, de and they became criminal was because of Keen Sr. So will that have all come out? Mm-hmm. Um, is John Osterman, is Cal dead? Will he be able to reconstitute? Does Angela, is she now Dr. Manhattan? Um, the fact that Ozymandias now is going to jail and that Looking Glass Will Looking Glass become an FBI agent and work with Laurie Blake mm. going forward? There, there are so many questions. Um, but at the same time, I really want to say, if none of those questions are answered, and if when we get a season two, it has nothing to do with this, I am a hundred percent okay. Yeah. If we even don't get a season two, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to get a season two just based on the numbers, the figures, mm-hmm. the, the, the everything. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to get a season 2. I don't think it will be the same characters. I don't think it will be the same. There may be some thread lines mm-hmm. or through lines I should say, but I'm okay. This for me has been a, a television season for the decade. Um it really has been one of the the greatest pieces of writing um that the, just the whole lot for me has left me on the edge of my yeah. seat. Yeah, so I, I've asked the question, so what's yeah. next? Where does this leave
2: us? We used to have a lot of these things when we were younger, um, which were called event, event series Yeah, that used to happen a lot. Yeah. Um, they don't happen very much anymore. You have some kind of miniseries. BBC do them a lot where they do four or five episodes of a show and then they never, ever return to that show again. Um, I'm hopeful, actually, with the show being as good as it is, I'm hopeful they don't return unless they have a great idea and a great story to tell because I think... Uh a lot of writers could come in and tell you a story of what happens next. You know, somebody could write next week's episode and I don't know whether it will form the same kind of feeling that this show has given to watchmen. You know? I could tell you next week, Sister Nights out in the street taking down criminals, yay, great, and looking glasses back out in the street next week, you know. Great. It's just a standard comic book story on TV, but this show has really done something and told a story through the medium of comic book TV that I don't think would have been able to tell without this particular writer's room and this particular, what's it, 500 people that are involved in this show, everybody from the actors and the people behind the scenes and the set makers and everybody who's making this show the way it's been made right now. Um, One thing that Damon Lindelof is very clear about pointing out, while his name is on the writer section of the episodes, this was a true writer's room. There were people in this room for a year and a half breaking every beat of the story and the people, people who get the credit on the final episode is just that they wrote most of the dialogue. That's that forms the episode, but all of the ideas came from this writer's room. So if somebody else in the writer's room who hasn't been a showrunner before has a great idea for a season two, that's also a possibility come back and and do a season two. It doesn't have to be Damon Lindelof, but somebody involved in this version of the show has the same kind of love and belief for the material coming back and do a season two. There's definitely ideas that you can take uh, going forward, but I think this feels like the original comic books that were never followed up until this TV show, and that's taken 30-odd years to do, so what do you do? Could this possibly be followed up in eight or nine months with another show with the same kind of impact? I can't imagine.
0: So in an interview, which we talked about, I I, I briefly discussed, they called the original comic book the old old mm-hmm. testament mm-hmm. and when they're in the writer's room the original comic book was called the old testament i now see this as the new Testament. okay uh this is the their, their their first book what i could see and what i would be happy with would be a true detective style um piece which is season two is a completely different standalone yeah story, um with no connection there is one question I have, which is outstanding, which is, where's Dan Driver? Mm-hmm. Could we see uh, what happened to Dan Driver? Could we have an episode or a mini series about that? That is a story potentially that I would be interested yeah. in. But I'm with you as well. I'm happy with this to stay as a an event mm-hmm. series. This is a one-off. Unfortunately, we live in a capitalistic world. Where I do not think that from the money that this show has brought in for h b o that I do not believe that will be the case. I believe Damien Limnoff will not attach himself to it unless he he has one. He said uh, he doesn't yeah. have one, but if he ever had one, he would come back um I do believe that potentially some of the other writers might have and they may they may do something, but I don't want them to do a direct sequel to this season right. one. I would like, if they do season two, it is American Horror Story season two. It is a completely different story. Yeah. It's another year later, but with none of the same characters. What happened yeah. when Ozymandias' and uh, Redford's plan um, is uh, the evidence given to the state? Does that make sense?
2: It is a weird one, yeah, because it did wait 30 years since the original. It makes total sense what you're saying, but some of the impact of the show is... Oh, they're bringing Laurie in, and we haven't seen her in thirty years. And there's such a massive change in that character because during the intervening period, she became the comedian for a while and went out in the streets as a vigilante. So a very different version of the character that we saw in the th- years ago. Um, Adrian Weiss being back after thirty years—what happened to that guy? He saved the world, and nobody thanked him for it. Doctor Manhattan—he went off to Mars. What happened to him? And they're brought back. If you have a second season, what's the impact? of bringing those characters in, they would have to be very minor players in the next season, or we'd have to have brand new characters and not have any connection to the original comic books as well. So do, would it have a similar feeling at all to watch? And I, I just don't know where it would go from here. And I'm really happy with that ending. And John, your reference of inception of the spinning top at the end of inception, did it fall? Did it stay up? Are they in a dream world? Are they in the real world? That's a great thing for this show to have her about to step in the pool did she guess the ability to walk on water? Did she guess the full Doctor Manhattan powers? Did she get absolutely no powers? Did she just eat a raw egg and get salmonella? You know, well, that, I, that's all the questions <laughs> answered in your own mind. That that's all your choices. So, I, th- I think you know. that's it, isn't it? I, I think I always. um
1: battle a little bit with sequels prequels and all that because to be honest that's the age we're in at the moment um it's that we must have another because that was so good and 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 you know you can have a lifespan of something sure and it needs to be done so i think with time and consideration and i think certainly because this was done with a writer's room yes damon lindelof is Kind of a, the key showrunner here, maybe, and, and certainly the key writer in, in terms of at least credits, but he's always recognizing the writer's room. But it seemed like they really did, um, go to town on this and took their time on this. So yeah. I think whatever, if there is to be another one, um, it needs time yeah. because this certainly took a long time to get there because otherwise you just get something thrown out and again it's like with films these days uh it's kind of why i like christopher nolan so much is that he does inception and you know an original movie Mm -hmm. in in a time where we we don't get that uh too often these days at least not on a a big scale um and he decides right that's it i've told the story i move on Mm -hmm. and i think that equally is valid because i think sometimes that's good for the art which is tv making yeah. i get what you're saying chris it's in a uh a corporate world and and there are there are jobs to be filled there's money to be made and so on but it's i think tv film theater all these kind of different
2: mediums operate in a space that's not just purely corporate yeah. and i suppose the good thing is all three of us are saying exactly the same thing basically this could Be the end, this could be the last for it, and we're all pretty happy with how it's all played out. And I presume if the idea is there in the future and it's a good idea, the money's there for it to come back. Yeah. Um, literally, while we've been recording, the ratings came in for last night's episode, um, in the US, and it's the highest rated of all of the episodes. So, everybody that's been watching it, time shifted, tuned in live to watch it last night. So, love that. So, yeah. it definitely was a success as a TV show, and hopefully, in future if there's a great idea the money's there for it It doesn't have to be a sequel doesn't have to be a follow-up but if the right idea comes to the people that are involved it'll be available there that's kind of cool
1: this should have been chris's five minutes to midnight
0: yes it should have been but it is now two minutes to midnight the doomsday clock is now at two
2: minutes I repeat, two minutes to midnight. Yes, our moment where we just talk about some Easter eggs and comic connections, some things that we may have noticed that we haven't talked about already. Um, we've talked about a lot of them, I think, as we went yes. through the episodes, but Chris, is there anything specific you want to call out here?
0: Yes. Uh, the first one for me is, where, oh, where is Loopman? <laughs> um yes I believe I missed uh, something quite small uh, or quite big depending on but um yes where is Loopman oh uh, Derek please enlighten me <laughs> Well we did talk about <laughs> it in our
2: feedback episode last week uh, there is a, a mention in Pedia that they kind of have revealed that PC agent Dale PC who writes Pedia is Loopman that's the reason we saw him because he was now in Oklahoma and he was going out at night dressed up as Lubeman or going out during the daytime, dressed up as Lubeman following Laurie. And we thought we would see her, him in the last episode at some point, you know, uh, sneaking in maybe to save the day, but he didn't do that. Uh, there is a new uh, piece on Wikipedia, which is the piece we talk about on our feedback episode. We'll talk about it later on in the week, but effectively, yeah, it does confirm uh, that Agent Dale Peaty is Lubeman and he's not the most massively credible superhero if you remember the character (laughs) on the show. Yeah. (laughs) But we'll talk about it on the next episode. It's nothing too important, I suppose. Well, he's a
1: slippery character. He can certainly escape down a tight hole. Yes, exactly.
2: Exactly. And he's based on the characters from Fog Dancing, the book. They're called Fog Dancers. He thinks he's really cool. He's dressed up in this uniform. And he gets effectively reduced to this name lube man so that probably didn't do his uh ego much <laughs> much use no
0: probably not but we will talk more about that in our feedback episode later in the week uh mm-hmm. my next one is strangely it's just a point we know that dan dryberg is in prison we never got him um uh, mentioned outside of that we never saw anything outside of mm-hmm. that i would have liked to see that character um i like the facts that he potentially could have become the original uh Night Owl um it, such that like he could have been working above the garage he could have become like right. the original Night Owl uh like past, yeah. passing it on like a torch um i did like that idea but it was just a shame um, because we did yeah. see Archie at the very end.
2: Yeah, and there's references to him. There's references that he was put in prison because he didn't actually go down the side of joining the task force to take down vigilantes. He stayed being a vigilante with uh, Laurie for a while. Um, We know he ran his own company, and he's the one that supplies the police force with their uh, their equipment effectively. Um, I kind of like the idea, and again, this is a little bit behind-the-scenes information, but I kind of like the idea that they said... He's just another white guy and there's so many white people in the show and he's already had effectively all of Watchmen is told from Dan Dryberg's perspective of learning about it through the original Night Owl. So did you really need to bring back every single character? Maybe you might want to check in on him, of course, you know, and they probably will if they do a season two, they probably will have Dan Dryberg in there. But they kind of felt that they just didn't find a space for him. There just was so many other characters to deal with. And you have a massive amount of new characters as well that they're trying to get on screen. Loads that didn't even get enough time on screen as, uh, screen as it is. You know, everybody wants to see more of Looking Glass. Um, even though he got his entire own episode as well. But, uh, but yeah, yeah I know what you mean, Chris. It's just, it is, it stands out as to why we didn't see uh, any actor playing Dan Dryberg.
0: It is. It, for me, it's inside baseball. I completely understand. I completely agree. With the reason we didn't see him, the comic book fanatic in me, the 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 fan, um, was like, oh well, I wish we kind of had of even just a, a kind of they could have got a a well known actor on the level of Jeremy Irons, just to have that three minute interaction. I thought that would just be nice. But again, again, we could potentially yeah. be used for a season two. Uh, potentially used. In some other fashion. That's really it for my three points. It was just that, yeah, we already discussed that Archie's back. Where was old DD, and where where or where was Loopman? Um, John, any points from your side? Yeah,
1: too? um, we've got Adrian Vite catching a bullet there on Europa in a nod to the comics where mm-hmm. he he does the same uh, as well. Where Laurie uh, tries to shoot him, yeah, yeah, where Laurie tries to shoot him and he catches uh, the bullet, um. And I I I did really like uh, that interaction with Mister Phillips, uh, or should I say the the gamekeeper, uh, where he goes. The gamekeeper goes. Was I uh, a worthy ad- ad- adversary, uh, master? Because you know he he's talking about having been. He had to wait out time for eight years on Europa, so he needed. Not just simply these clones of Mr. Phillips and Miss Cruxshanks, but this worthy adversary uh, and <laughs> just just the deadpan, no, um, but you did give it a good shot kind of thing, a good run Put all those good, shows. yeah, um, I just thought that was uh, really good um a yep. little moment as you you know you you see the disappointment in the gamekeepers eyes as also then the life like drains Mm -hmm. from his eyes so it it was a a, i think a really kind of interesting moment between these two um but certainly yes not as worthy as we thought exactly this adversary and my only other note is that as um angela uh the kids and will are leaving dreamland theater after the the fall of the frozen calamari uh which is not a political organization um <laughs>
2: Could the be a new album though. yeah
1: the the dreamland cinema um all the 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 different bulbs of of those letters that are illuminated, uh have been knocked out by the frozen calamari to leave dr m dr manhattan which mm-hmm. i thought was a nice well uh,
2: dr m d or and m yes
1: yeah, well D-R and m so yeah. dr m dr manhattan so yes. i thought that was a nice little touch uh, and just quickly on that um I thought that conversation between Will and Angela in, in the cinema was just really nice. And I think it it comes back to your point about maybe uh, the future vigilantes won't need to wear masks or whether Angela herself is actually the, the new Dr. Manhattan uh, having taken the yoke. Uh, because, you know, Will says... You can't heal under a mask, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Wounds need, uh, and I thought that was just a, a nice little uh, quote from from
2: Will Reeves uh, there to his granddaughter. Yeah, yeah. A really, a really beautiful sentiment. I suppose at this stage, this is a guy that's lived, you know, his whole life being hooded justice, and now they don't need it anymore. That hopefully uh, things are starting to change a little bit uh, in there. Um, I do love the quote from Bianne as she's uh, stealing the. Sample that will eventually become Lady True. Uh, the quote that she says in uh, in Vietnamese is a quote attributed to the original Lady True from the third century, where she's talking about "I want to ride, ride the strong winds and I will not bend and break to become a slave." Uh, right at the beginning of the episode, it's just a really nice touch that that's a quote attributed to the original Lady True uh, before Lady True is created. So, uh, so really nice. Final note: We would be remiss to not comment on how awesome that choice of music right at the end of the episode. They've done some great choices throughout this season, but choosing "I Am the Walrus" for the title of the episode, which is "See How They Fly," uh, that's also from. The song "I Am Walrus," but this cover version by Spooky Tooth, uh, this kind of even more psychedelic than the Beatles cover version of uh, "Of I Am the Walrus." I didn't think that was possible, um, but what a great choice! You know, we have that moment just after Angela has downed the egg, uh, as it sings over the top of it, "I am the Eggman, we are the Eggman. um What a perfect choice for at the finale of the episode. I'm presuming using the Beatles as your outro to your series might be quite expensive. So I'm glad they did a choice of at least a much, a very psychedelic seventies version of the song. It's very cool.
0: Yes. No, it was. It was definitely an, an, an ending and a half. I, I text Eric the second. Um, we saw it and my response as it was finishing was, Oh, I am the Eggman.
2: <laughs> exactly exactly uh, that's it for for notes i'm sure there's hundreds more this is not the last time we'll be talking about the watchman we will be talking about it in our feedback episode as i said email us with your thoughts to feedback at tv podcast industries.com we will be doing our feedback episode on the 19th of december thursday and we'll have it out before christmas i promise <laughs> yes we will
0: but gentlemen as we wrap up our thoughts and feelings um any last words <laughs>
2: All of our thoughts and feelings are just about this episode, Chris.
0: Whichever you prefer. We can sit down and record (laughs) another two hours if you want to get all your feelings. I will have
2: thoughts and feelings in future. They may not be about the specific episode, but I will have thoughts and feelings at
0: So, John, what did you think of episode nine? See how they fly.
1: Well for me I'm giving this five popped watermelons out of five. Um and I'm going to keep this succinct. Um everything exceptional for real this time. Um I just thought I have never given so many fives in in a series and and this was no exception. It 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 cleared everything up. And it left a few little nuggets where we can just think and ruminate on them for the next 30 years until season two comes out Mm -hmm. uh, on HBO at some point. Probably virtual reality um, brain implants. Being
0: directly to your eyes. (laughs) Yes,
1: exactly. HBO Um, Supermax, would that be it? And uh, I I just thought this was really well-crafted. Really nicely done. And so, yeah, five popped watermelons out of five. I can't really heap enough popped watermelon praise on it uh, as I would like to.
0: Excellent. Uh, Derek, how did you like See How They Fly?
2: This episode was amazing. And I think one of the most interesting things about it is that it, it circles everything and turns everything into its own circle as well. Whether we get a season two or not, we have a season two, which is watching season one again. And then we have a season three, which is watching season one again, because there are nods from the final episode going all the way back to the beginning of the first episode. Um, I love this idea and, and one that came out uh, in, in some discussions that were that were had with them and Lindelof as well, where right at the beginning of the first episode, we saw a seventh cavalry, mem- cavalry member getting caught uh, on the road by a police officer. And we saw Lettuce in the back of his van. What we didn't see and what was in there was Lady True batteries were in the back of this guy's van. The plan had been unvi- unveiled in the first episode as to what was going to happen in the ninth episode. Yeah, so every single episode that you go back and watch, there's going to be something like that. There's going to be little t- little tricks, little twists that they've done that you can only see once you've seen the full story revealed here in episode nine. That doesn't happen very often. You don't get to a season finale. We've done so many season finales on TV podcast industries where we get to the end and go, oh, that was a bit of a damp squib at the end, wasn't it? Oh, about 10 minutes too long. Oh, I wish they'd edited it down to a couple of episodes shorter or a couple of minutes shorter because the ending wasn't great. They didn't nail the ending. Superhero landing right here, guys, for me. This damp. was perfect. Damp squid, I think you'll find. A damp squid, yes. Uh, some series have had a damp squid. This one had a frozen in carbonite squid <laughs> or a frozen in carbonite Adrian Vice at least. Chris, what's your thoughts before I go off on, on some very weird tangent?
0: When we were talking offline um Derek, we, I mentioned when we were discussing the episode of Dr. Manhattan and the, the time jumps. I talked about a Mobius strip, uh, this theory of a, a a winding interlooped timeline where everything is possible and everything is seen at the same time. Mm-hmm. That is the season for me. It is improbable. It is a, a theorem. Um, it is based on physics and very much real, but at the same time improbable. Um, you, we as you said, I will watch this season again and be able to pick up things I never saw before, but to continue that watch, because those things I pick up on the second viewing in my third viewing will enhance even further. Yeah. Um, I can't echo what you guys have said more uh, and add more heaps and praises because there's nothing else to be said. Um, This, for me, is potentially one of the greatest pieces of television in the last decade for me mm. it had the superhero landing as you said it was just fantastic do i want to see a season two yeah i want to see a season two do i want to see any season two no <laughs> i want to see the correct season two yes and i want them to take their time i want them to take another five years two years ten years <laughs> uh, as long as it takes to get something on that level um so let's see where it goes but That was all our thoughts Mm -hmm. on this episode. And we
2: all lied to you, fellow watchers. We've lied to you. We said there's nothing else to say. There's loads more left to say. You have your thoughts to say, uh, and we want to hear them. We want to talk about them. Uh, Email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or join us over in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. There's a spoiler post for every single episode, including the finale over there. We want to hear your thoughts. There's some already in there. We have some voicemails in already, but we want to hear Every piece of thought that you have about this season, because we know you've all been enjoying it as well. So uh, let us know and we'll discuss them on our next episode.
0: Yes, because we also know there was a lot to take in, a lot to process. We're giving you 24 hours extra (laughs) to get us that information, to get us that feedback, to get us your thoughts. And really, I do want, love hearing your voices on our podcast. So make sure if you have the ability to record a short clip of yourself on your phone and email it to us or jump over to the website where you can record up to 90 seconds of your thoughts. Fellow watchers, thank you for joining us. We hope you stay subscribed to our podcast. We will have one more Watchmen episode, as we said, this feedback episode coming out very soon. And we record Thursday and then our lovable editor and producer and Magic uh, Minuteman, if you will, uh, our Watchman will pull it all together and get it out very soon, or at least particularly over the Christmas period. Thank you so much again. Uh, we hope you stay subscribed. We will have more information coming out very soon about what we were recovering in early 2020 uh, as soon as we get our ducks in a row because you know what ducks are very hard to get into a row and sometimes they just run off into corners but we will get them in a row <laughs> we will get them to you
2: See, fellow watchers he has to be really polite to me because he knows I have to edit, edit this episode so he knows I have to do a really good job at making sure Chris sends great and John sounds great and I sound great so I should have the episode out sometime mid January no we'll be out before <laughs> Christmas I promise I um, also want to say a huge thank you to our Patreons for December um, who went over and joined us on patreon.com slash tv podcast industries claire Payne, Stuart campbell or dix and ken who who've all contributed to the podcast and help us keep keep us going if you want to contribute to the podcast you can contribute any event at patreon.com slash tv podcast industries and we'll give you a little shout out on the next episode Absolutely. Thank you so much,
1: Claire, Stuart, Oren, and Ken uh, for that Patreon support. And of course, thank you everyone who subscribes as well to TV Podcast Industries. Without your support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do, mm-hmm. um, whether that's through Patreon, whether that is through subscribing and sharing uh, our podcast or with your friends, family. Uh, dare I say it a little hark back. To grannies uh, as well Mm -hmm. from our Defenders
2: TV podcast. Or your watchmaking grandparents as well. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly, yes.
1: (laughs) Um, That's really strong bifocals then.
2: Yeah. Once we are finished with our Watchmen episodes, this feedback episode of the last one, we'll have out in 2019. 2020 kicks off with our review of 2019, where we'll discuss the kind of shows we'll be talking about next year and all the stuff that we did this year. Uh, Hoping to record that at the start of next year so you'll get that in the first week of January. Tell you all about the stuff that we're going to be covering for the rest of 2020, or at least some of it. As far, all the stuff we know. That's that's about it. Bye bye, watchers. Yeah. Keep watching The Watchmen.
0: Yes, thank you so much, fellow watchers. We will be back soon.
1: As always, fellow watchers, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great having this discussion with you. And remember, keep watching, keep listening.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.